This is the Pathways to Greatness podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Forrester. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind everybody, I wrote a book in 2020, and it's called Unleash Potential. The link is in the show notes below. You can go anywhere on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, wherever online where you can buy books, or my email address is in the show notes as well, and you can reach out for a signed copy. Go get yours today. It's awesome. I'm definitely setting the bar high when it comes to guests and real tactical things that each of you listeners can take and apply to your lives. Eric Springer from Admired Leadership, CRA Inc. He's an executive coach. He's a retired colonel from the Air Force with 24 and a half years of service. Um, and the last few years was in special operations. And he comes in legit with great great things that are easy to apply and necessary if you want to be on a pathway to greatness. A couple of things that he talked about is that that really stood out to me were you just have to create a vision, you have to be accountable, and you have to have specific challenges. I'm not going to spoil the whole episode. You need to listen. It's wonderful. Eric, Thank you. I'm glad that we've connected. I learned an awful lot during this hour with you, and I hope everyone else enjoys. So the button has been pushed, and we're now recording. So I'm trying my best to not shift into that podcast voice that I just told you about. My wife said, (laughs) Um, "Well, Eric, it's I'm, I'm happy to have you on the Greatness or Pathways to Greatness podcast. I don't even remember my name." And we, a little backstory for the listeners is we've only had one other phone conversation and we were connected through a mutual friend of ours. And that initial conversation, I just really felt a connection. One, we have both great haircuts. um, And for those who can't see us, we're both bald and that's perfectly okay. (laughs) My dad said that um, there are a few perfect heads in the world and the rest of them have hair. So I'm a firm believer in that. But Eric, welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Well, before we get started, we have to have fun. So I like to do Would You Rather. Have you ever played Would You Rather? Oh, lay it on me. Okay. So would you rather freeze time or go back in time? Uh, Great question. I think uh, as a as a parent, there have been many times when I would have loved to have just frozen a moment in time. Um, but uh, I also have a history degree. My first, my first degree is in history. So sometimes I love to go back in time and just uh, be able to experience certain things that we, we talk about historically. Okay. I agree with you on the freeze time. It's the, the days continue to move quickly and the years are quicker. And you turn around and boom, they're grown. It's an amazing thing to see, right? My daughter's 20. She's a sophomore in college now, and my, my son's a freshman in high school. And uh, to think about um, the stories that they will tell about their life journey and the experiences they had, it's amazing to have been a part of that. It's almost like the rediscovery of life, all the things that you take for granted and the, uh, the things that uh, become natural are just natural to you. 
uh, you got to see them develop those skills and those experiences. So I wish I could freeze some of those moments for sure. Yep. No, I, I'm with you. So would you rather live without music or TV? Oh, there's no way I could live without music. Okay. Uh, what are, what are some live... of your favorite brand or bands? Well, so um, my son and I, we have a little three-piece rock band. Uh, so I, I play the guitar. My son plays uh, the drums. We have a friend that plays keyboards and bass and, and sings. And so I think where we find ourselves uh, drawn to is um, hard rock, uh, heavy metal, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s because all of those bands back then just had a, a drummer and a guitarist that could just shred, that could just tear it up. And it wasn't synthesized. It wasn't electronic. And it was, uh, there are some of those, talk about freezing a moment in time or going back to a moment in time. There are times when I could remember I, I when I first heard this descending arpeggio or this intro to this song and, and it, it stopped me in my tracks. And so, um, uh, TV, yeah, I could go without that, especially nowadays with the 24-hour news cycle and most of the things that you see on there. Uh, it's funny how how little history there is on the History Channel anymore, or how much learning, how little learning there is actually on the Learning Channel anymore. Um, but uh, but there's something uh, in time immemorial about uh, music itself, right? I can tell you exactly where I was when I per first heard the intro uh, for "Welcome to the Jungle" by Guns N' Roses, or or uh, the descending arpeggio in Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2 or those kind of iconic songs. Yeah, it's amazing because you see, I'm, well, it sounds like your kids are, but my son's 14, my daughter's 12, is he loves that old, old music, like our music that we grew up with. And uh, it's neat because you you can see his appreciation for, he's like, do you know what, dad, this really tells a story. I was like, yeah, exactly. The The stuff now is just a beat that just goes on and on. Um, I mean, if you think Bohemian Rhapsody by written by Freddie Mercury, you know, Queen, one person wrote that entire thing. One person created that entire song. And obviously you had the, uh, the ensemble, the, the, the four of them that created the, the sound, but the composition of that was, you know, one person. And so you get to see much more genius in some of these old songs and, and how, how they created music was different. The, the times of, and I think back to my own time when I was 14 years old, right, playing a guitar, and it was me and a few guys in a garage, you know, plugged into a Marshall double stack and just just making noise and, and creating. And I'm left thinking of this uh, quote by Claude Debussy that uh, uh, music is a silence between the notes, and that there's there's this moment in time, this this small millisecond between when one note being played. And that sound traveling over this chasm of time and melding with another so sound and creating harmony that, uh, that exists in those songs, for me anyway. And it's also something that exists in a, in a philosophical sense between my son and I when we play. Um, because uh, there's plenty of times when we're improvising and when we say, hey, do that again, that sounded really cool. And then I'll do this on top of it and that kind of stuff. And obviously that's, my son and I uh, developing a bond, a harmony through this music. So That's, I couldn't do it without music. Yeah, yeah. Just, just the description. Just it really, it stirs that that father son bond or the father child bond that you're you have this privilege that you will never forget, 
And there's absolutely no question that he will never forget the hours that you spend playing together. And here's how you make it fun for him. He gets to pick all the songs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You just want to spend time with him and play music. Yeah. I, I don't sit there and, and stuff something down his, his throat that, hey, I really want to play this. And he just has to sit back there and, and give me the beat. Um, but no, he... Uh, I think I paid the phone bill. Hopefully, I, I'm still here. <laughs> I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> that was <laughs> weird. <laughs> All right. I get somebody um, to help us to edit that together. That was really weird. Um, I, I think I guess I'll also a little bit of power here. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just music is is something that that's got to be present for me because uh, uh, it's the way we we bond. Uh, I think uh, sometimes t TV is much more mind mind numbing uh, entertainment. Certainly, there are certain things. Uh, uh, cinematography, music uh, that's in, uh, you know, musicals and those kind of things that can also be very engaging for us. And, and I think we could all talk about the, the movies that shaped our understanding of different historical events or give us a, a lens into the past as well as important. But most of what you see in, in TV nowadays is something I could do without. What's one of his favorite songs that he's picked that you guys all like to play regularly? Well, I'll just give you the latest. Uh, is uh, a lot of John Cougar Mellencamp. Oh. We, uh, happen to be, we happen to be uh, driving through um, the Midwest uh, here recently, just uh, uh, not in Indiana, but uh, through Southern Illinois and Kentucky, uh, going to see family over the holidays and uh, Thanksgiving time period. And so that got us thinking about uh, the music that kind of came from this part of the, the country, right? And, and obviously John Mellencamp wrote all of his songs, Small Town, uh, cherry bomb, all those kind of things were, were kind of based uh, on his on his childhood in this area, right? So, uh, so for us, uh, cherry bomb was a song he picked, uh, and it's just got a great beat, and it's it's got great opportunities to improvise. And outside of that, um, you'll see us going everywhere between uh, Journey to uh, Kiss to Green Day to now, what else is on there? Oh, from the 90s, a little bit of three doors down, uh, everywhere in between. That's great. That's cool. All right. Let's see. You need to list that on your LinkedIn. That's not there. <laughs> you speak three languages, but I had no idea you played the guitar. <laughs> I guess that's a fourth language, right? <laughs> it 100% is. And I can't do any of them. So <laughs> I barely can do the English language, much less anything else. Always an opportunity to be impressed. Uh, especially when you're when you're watching somebody play music. My oh, son, yeah. I, I could not do what he does on the drums, right? Obviously, I have two appendages I have to worry about. He has four, and it's all left side and right side of brain and, and all that. And this, uh, yeah, he's, he's surpassed where I could be <laughs> on that yeah. instrument. No, that's great that the student now t is teaching the, the master, right? As it should be. Yeah. Okay, so knowing that you're, you like athletics, this is you have three to choose from. Would you rather run, bike, or swim? Uh, so I'm a triathlete, right? So I, I do know. All, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll three of those. You got to pick one. <laughs> I, I jokingly say that uh, 
you know, the, the, the way it usually goes is I say, uh, you know, don't drown, don't crash and don't walk is, <laughs> is the rules uh, on a triathlon. And, and most of the time you find yourself that when I'm in the water, I keep on saying, man, I can't wait to get out of the water. And then I get on the bike and I say, I can't wait to get off the bike. And then I'm on the run. And I say, I can't wait to be done with this thing. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think I, I would probably lean towards cycling more than anything. Okay. Okay. All right. And the last fun one before we get into the real stuff is would you rather have pizza or tacos? Yeah, it's got to be pizza. Okay. What kind? Tacos are good too. I hate to say that. You know, that's, that's a tough one there. Cause it, I, it's hard. It's like know, picking your favorite child. <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, I think if you've ever heard of the El Arroyo, um, my home record, I guess you could say, is in Texas. And uh, El Arroyo is a Mexican restaurant in Austin, Texas. And they're, they're, they're famous for their marquee, which always has these snarky and very kind of current, up-to-date, um, you know, comments on it. And one of them is that uh, essential oils are the things that drip out of tacos, right? You know, so, and I, uh, uh, I think that's probably true. Uh, so definitely some, some great tacos. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely hit the spot, but, uh, for something that I'll, I'll go to most often would be, uh, you know, pizza. Okay. Do you have like favorite toppings? Can't give you that. There's a great one. I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound pretty plain with some, some good pepperoni and some good sausage and that kind of stuff. But yeah. there's a, you know, growing up in Europe myself, uh i i prefer like the neapolitan style the naples uh style pizza so yeah i'm with you on that one well thank you that was awesome i i really enjoyed that and so far getting asking people these questions has revealed a lot for me and it's created fun conversations so i appreciate it yeah happy it was fun yeah. so we talked a little bit beforehand about pathways to greatness and you know, what we had talked about is that everybody's definition of greatness is different and everybody has different pathways that they follow to get there because the, the biggest eye-opener for me is as I continue to journey through life is life is not linear. It's not one straight line. It's just all twists and turns, ups and downs, obstacles, rocks, roots, um, mud, water, everything. And so what I'd love to ask you to get started is what would you say your definition of greatness is? So that's an intriguing question. I, I would say for me, greatness is something that's defined individually. Uh, and it's something that's intangible. And it's a product of self-discipline, of focus, courage, and often a relentless self-improvement. It's behavioral. Uh, it's not psychological. Love that answer because it, it it is that big. I mean, greatness is huge and it is defined by each person that we're on a path to try to achieve. Nobody wants to be average. Everybody wants to be great. But like you said, is who's willing to put the intentional work in to be great, whatever that definition is. So when you look back, I'd love for you to, since we're new in our relationship and our friendship, and I know the listeners probably are as well, um, give everybody some of your background to add the credibility to the pathways that you've had up until now. So uh, I grew up uh, over in Germany. My mom is uh, German. 
and uh, immigrated to America. She did when she was about 21 or so and obviously uh, married an American and that's how I came into being. But I grew up over in Germany and uh, moved to America when I was about 11. Uh, and uh, I grew up during a time over in Germany when you had uh, the Cold War, you had the Berlin Wall and those kind of things. And those uh, were significant motivators for me to, to go into the service and to, to make a difference and an impact uh, on the behalf of, of freedom. And uh, so that led me to go to the Air Force Academy uh, right out of high school and into a career of 24 and a half years of active duty uh, in the Air Force and, and Air Force Security Forces and uh, specifically finishing up special operations uh, and doing a lot of things all over the world. I think at the end, I, I looked at 61 different countries in which I had operated in and led teams from as small as four all the way to over 2,000 and retired as a colonel and uh, a mix of serendipity and, uh, and purpose and, and providence as well uh, led me to where I am right now as an executive coach with uh, CRA, Admired Leadership. And so right now I'm, in the, I'm in, the, in the pursuit of making people and things better all the time by building better teams and by building better organizations. And that's why I felt you very credible and qualified to have a conversation on pathways to greatness because you help people find theirs. So for me, my thoughts around this conversation was going to be different than some of the other people because you're in a different position where you have your own pathway and you're also helping other people define and identify how to navigate their pathways. So for the listeners, when when you sit down with someone and you start having a conversation about what they're trying to accomplish, what does that look like? What's something that a listener could, could take from it? So there's two things I, I try to focus on for everybody. And um, I kind of ask a rhetorical question is, is, are you focused more on, on developing a vision of who you are or, or on achieving certain goals and metrics for yourself? And if and I find that they're leaning towards goals, I always try to steer them towards creating a vision for who they are because goals are, are dead objectives. They're either accomplished or they're not. In either case, um, uh, what's more overpowering and more uh, eternal, I guess you could say, is, is the vision of who you are personally and professionally. And that, that is like the North Star. That's something you can't grab with your own hands and say, I've achieved this, I've accomplished this, but it's always there importantly, to give you a direction, an azimuth to head uh, down when you're at a fork in the road and, and you don't know which way to go. If you can see that, uh, if you're a person of character and integrity, you can see where that North Star is for you. And if you've communicated it appropriately, uh, it's how your people on your team can also make decisions even when you're not there to make the decision for them. So that North Star is important, I think. And then uh, that, that leads to uh, usually a thought project we work on to, to focus folks on what are the things that are that they value at that point in time in their life. And uh, this is an interesting thought project that I actually uh, went through myself. And it essentially involves five different uh, focus areas uh, at any point in your career, when you're, whether you're transitioning or whether you're uh, advancing down a certain path in an organization. 
uh, and the paths are the, uh, and the, uh, the characteristics of this. Live where you work, i.e. location is important to you for one reason or another at this point in time. Loving what you do, being passionate about the, the work you do and the impact it's having in the world around you. Loving who you do it with, be it believing in the team and the team being important to your sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in the work that you're doing. Your work life, what people would call balance, but I think it's more harmony and autonomy in, in, the, in the life that you're doing, that you're living. And then finally, your compensation. And the exercise is this, you can only pick three. Mm. And uh, now ideally you would have all five, right? Um, but what the important part of that exercise is, is to for force you to figure out what's important for you at that moment in time in your life, right? But right now, uh, living where I work is important to me because I have a kid that's in high school and I don't want to move him before he's done with high school. Now in four years, that may not be as important to me. Something else may be more valuable, right? But but what, what are the things that I value? What are the things that are important for me? And why, why are those specific things important to me right now? And then we take a look, all right, is what you're doing right now is where you are aligned with those things that you value. Are you on the path towards those things or not? And then if not, let's get you there. So you do the vision prior to the thought project. I think there are, I think there are, it's important to have the vision first because okay. because you need to know who you are and wh why you are who you are. It's a little bit of um, uh, you could call it uh, Simon Sinek's just cause or your or your why your personal why statement, right? But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. And um, I like this analogy of the North Star. It's something that resonates with me. Uh, my my grandfather was a was a prisoner of war, and he actually ended up escaping from the prisoner of war camp, and made it all the way to safety by using the North Star, by wow. using celestial navigation. And so you have to know, you have to be able to see the North Star. You have to know what the North Star is and be able to identify it by looking at the Cassiopeia or the, or the, the Dipper and being able to see, okay, that's the North Star is Polaris right there. So you have to be able to identify what that North Star is for you. And you have to be able to orient yourself on it. So seeing where it is first is important. And then you can orient yourself towards that North Star. Yeah, this is, Really, really good. So when you're helping someone define their vision, what are what are some of the steps that you do to walk them through to help them? Because I know I've had conversations with people before about that, and they're just kind of, I, like, I don't even know where to start. So how do you help somebody get started? So uh, I think the key thing to talk about is that greatness and the pursuit of greatness uh, is is behavioral. It's not psychological. If you think about the great leaders of the past or the great leaders that you happen to have served with or uh, worked with in the past or even just observed historically, nobody could sit there and tell you what their, what their psychometric profile was on Myers-Briggs or those kind of things. And, and even if they could, I don't know what value that would hold, right? Those things are, are oftentimes great for, uh, for self-actualization. Uh, to realize that maybe a given strength that you have in a certain situation could be a weakness in others. And, and they may be important for, in a limited sense, for putting together a team and, and, and figuring out what's somebody's strengths and weaknesses. But in general, uh, it's, it's almost a useless thing in developing a path towards greatness for yourself. Uh, what really defines that is your behaviors, your actions. And the same thing when you look at the, the best leaders that you've seen out there, we know what they did. 
not necessarily what their what their psychometric profile was on the Disper or the Hogan or any of that kind of stuff. We know what they did. And so those are the things to focus on, the things that you can put into practice, the things that you can make a behavior and a routine and a ritual every single day. And there's a lot of uh, things that are written about this, obviously, atomic habits and, and so on. You know, we'll talk about the, um, the two minute rule and the things that you can do for just a couple of minutes to build up this cadence over time of keeping and then and obviously then keeping streaks alive uh, as as we develop this over time. Right. So things become second nature to you and, and it becomes something that you don't even think about anymore. It's just a, it's just a habit. The best leaders are habitual about pursuing pursuing greatness. And I think that's, uh, you know, you can hear that uh, things like Vince Lombardi said, right, that we pursue perfection and we achieve excellence along, along the way. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing there, but um, it's the same thing with pursuing greatness. Uh, best leaders out there on a relentless pursuit of improvement for themselves and for their organizations at all times. So it's all about creating habits. And I want the the listeners, if you have to stop and hit the little 15 second rewind button a couple of times to hear what you had to say, it's all extremely valuable because it comes back to being intentional and being an active participant in your life. And so many of us, I'll include myself in that, there's times where you just feel passive. You just kind of go with the flow and just whatever life brings you, you accept, which is at this point in my life, it's become unacceptable just to take that as I want to create the future. I want to create the environment that I'm in and be very intentional about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think there's any better way to put it, but you have to be intentional. Intentionality is, is key to this. Uh, and I love to think this, this is a not, this didn't come from me, but I love this analogy is that the, the graveyard is the richest place in the world because that's where all the ideas that never saw the light of day are buried. That's where all the novels that should have been written are buried. That's where the innovations and the vaccines and the creations and the things that if only we had had the courage to be intentional, and to make those things real, re, you know, realistic for, for any, any, in any measurable way. Um, yeah, if only we had done that, they wouldn't be buried in the ground. Right. I love that. I just had to write that down. I've got to rewind this a ton of times, I think, to, to write everything down because you're dropping lots of great, great, just real things that people can take a hold of and use, which I thoroughly appreciate because that's the vision of the podcast. So do you have them write down their vision, like map it out and write it down? I have them do that for themselves, not necessarily for me. Right. Okay. Uh, and I, and I get to be a bit agnostic about what their actual vision is for themselves and not to say, because I don't want to necessarily overlay my own values upon it. Right. Uh, it's all right for somebody, uh, for example, in that exercise that I gave you uh, of those five different characteristics, I picked love, you know, live where I work, love what I do and love who I do it with. Now, if somebody else would have picked work-life balance and, and compensation and hey, at least let's be honest with ourselves. Those are important to you for one reason or another right now. And I'm not going to be judgmental about to, with you about that. So it, it's fine for you to define a different vision of, of who you are and, and, and why you wanna be heading down that path. Uh, like I said, uh, Everybody defines success and greatness for themselves in a very personal and an individual way. Uh, and, and you need to do it because if you don't, somebody else is going to define it for you. 
and 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 apply their own metrics of whether they think you're successful or not. But I love to look at the past and I see that some of the most successful people out there were people that uh, were by most people, by most contemporary sources at the time seen as complete failures. Uh, and and th there are so many examples uh, that I, I I could almost lose count. Uh, we went to, we were talking about rock and roll earlier, and uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, there's every every band that's in there has a section that's dedicated to their memorabilia. And I love this one thing that you'll see in the U2 section. There's a couple of framed letters, almost in the beginning of their section, uh, from the middle of 1979. And it was their rejection letters from two different recording companies uh, less than a year before they released their first album. And obviously you're talking about the most successful band in the last 45 years, right? And so there's a couple of people whose only claim to fame is that their name is signed on a letter in the U2 section as having turned down U2. Talk about missing the boat, right? And, and you can see that in, with so many other artists as well, right? I think uh, King George, George Strait, uh, probably the most successful uh, neo-traditionalist uh, country music artist. Uh, I think he has 45 number one hits. He was turned down by most labels until his last year. And he was working on working, doing ranch work <laughs> and, and going back to, to his roots, I guess you could say, because he couldn't make ends meet. And, and he had one one more opportunity and it worked out, right? And so uh, Colonel John Boyd in the Air Force, right? Uh, he's uh, this legendary fighter pilot that we uh, we still talk about. And he, he defined a lot of the operation in what's known as the OODA loop. Uh, and he was forced to retire as a colonel. He, you know, and Obviously, there's so many uh, high, more higher-ranking people that promoted him that are completely forgettable, and and he shook the boat and he rocked it, rocked it hard, and and that's why we remember him. And and so I think, in a larger sense, the bigger question we're talking about here is, uh, what's your legacy? Mm -hmm. um, is your is your legacy to quit? Is your legacy to to be persistent and to be intentional, even if you don't see it in your own lifetime? Vincent van Gogh never saw any of the success that and the inspiration that his paintings uh, brought to the world. He died before that 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 was that genius was realized. Yeah, what what I really love about all of those examples, it's the it's their North Star. They knew what they were doing. Just it goes back to what you said. They knew they had a passion and they just wanted to do it. Yeah, they they did it because of the love of it, not for the commercial aspect. I mean, I'm sure if you asked you two, they just made music because they loved it. And if they if they made money doing it, they probably just wanted to make enough to pay for gas and food and somewhere to sleep. You know, they had no intention of taking over the world with their music. I mean, they probably wanted to reach the world with their music, but I can't imagine that that, like you said, that Lombardi quote is they just strive to make the best music possible and to impact lives and everything else just fell into place. And they challenged the status quo every single step of the way, as all great artists do, right? Um, uh, you know, they, 
I guess to borrow from Elon Musk, you know, they said, hey, why don't we just land the rockets? <laughs> they, they, they did something different uh, and they did it in their own way. And they created a sound that people hadn't heard. And, and, it, and it took, took hold, right? Uh, so uh, I think one of the things, you know, another thing about great artists, you can almost tell within the first few notes exactly which, which band this is that's playing this or who's singing this right here. Not just by the sound of the voice, but 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 the way they're singing, right? Uh, when you listen to U2 and you hear The Edge, uh, their guitar player, he used this great mix of uh, delay and reverb to create these echoing kind of sounds when you listen to Where the Streets Have No Name or that opening riff, right? And nobody else had done that. Eddie Van Halen, the same thing. Nobody else had really... I mean, the first time I, I heard uh, his guitar solo in, in Eruption, uh, with the, the, the tapping that he was doing on the, on the fretboard, I'd never heard that before in my life. And so the, that's what makes it iconic is that, that it's different. And it span- Mango, nobody did anything like him before, right? Right. And it spans time. I mean, it doesn't matter. Oh. So I, it's cool that you had, you just mentioned that song. So my son and I were working out in the garage and I'd put on some mix that I thought he would like. He's like, dad, I just don't, like that can you put on what did you have on the other day i was like i just had a van halen mix on he's like can you put that on and eruption came on and i could just see him just kind of staring at the speaker he's like i never knew the beginning of that song because the next one was um i can't remember the song right after you really got me now yeah and uh, yeah and i was like buddy that's that they're really two different things you know and he uh, he's like that was unbelievable. And here's a 14 year old that is listening to a song that was written 20, 30 years ago, probably 40 years ago. More than that, late seventies. Yeah. Late seventies so, is when he did that. Which is dating both of us. <laughs> it's that old, <laughs> but it's just because he challenged that because he had the vision and he had the, the audacity to do something different. You know, everybody knows Elvis and he broke the norm by shaking his leg on TV and everybody just lost their mind over that. And it's always neat to see as people are on their pathway to greatness, that there's those times where we have to have courage to do something that's scary to us because it's not perfect we're probably going to get pushback. We're going to get feedback that we don't like. We're going to have comments, all these different things. But as long as we're aligned to what you said earlier to our North Star and we have it aligned to our values, we have to do it. And you have to just reap the rewards, whatever they may be. And it's so evident how vicious the imposter syndrome is and it was great in Stephen Pressfield's book, War of Art. Did you read that one? I haven't yet. No, I'll take that down. Oh, it's it's really good because he just talks about how often the imposter syndrome goes back to your graveyards, the richest place in the world, that there was a, an artist who hated the way his paintings looked and just painted and painted and painted and just kept filling up rooms with his paintings, but he hated them. Never wanted to show them to anybody, didn't think they were anything worth it. And um, I can't remember the artist's name. He passes away. They go in and clean out his apartment and they find some of the world's most 
valuable paintings nowadays because they were amazing, but he didn't think that they were amazing. And that's why it's, to me, it's so important to just do it. Don't listen to the lies that are spinning in your head of don't put that out there. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to read it. It goes back also to what you said. It's your legacy. It's something that's there that generations to, to come can benefit from. And I think really your legacy in many ways is, uh, is the fingerprints that you figuratively leave upon everybody that you interact with, whether it's through your art or whether it's the, through your, your personal interactions with them. And hopefully what people will see is the courage that, that you had the audacity to believe in yourself and, and develop amazing bonds along the way in the pursuit of a common goal, right? Uh, one of the most amazing things about you too, since we're talking about them, uh, is that it's the same four guys for almost 50 years. They went to, they went to uh, high school together over in Ireland, taught themselves their instruments. And, and they're still making music together, current music nowadays, right? So uh, I, think, I think being able to share that, that gift with, with others is, is what's amazing. That's so cool. I love it. So, you, so we, we get the vision, you do the challenging thought project. What would be the next steps that you do in helping people along their pathway accountability what does that look like we're going to commit to doing certain things behaviorally to make our lives better to make ourselves more effective have a greater impact in the world around us and uh, and and oftentimes what you need is an accountability partner Uh, somebody that's not going to take any of your excuses any of your and if you're, um, you know, well-intentioned, sometimes nonsense, and it's going to hold your feet to the fire. This morning at uh, 5.30, right out here, I was, uh, if you look at my calendar, you'll see a segment called Beast Mode. And I was, I was going Beast Mode with uh, a group of gentlemen that I, that I work out with in the morning, right? And there are some times in the morning where I'll be honest with you, I don't want to, I don't, I don't feel like it, you know? I'm hurting or I'm tired or whatever, but you better believe I'm going to have my butt out there because those other guys are out there. And so accountability is the essential factor, I think, here in, in being intentional. Yeah. Accountability and- is what holds us to the holds us on the line uh, on those on those moments of personal weakness. And it goes back, and again, I I, I really enjoy how this continues to build on itself is there's no accountability if you don't have a North Star and you haven't done the thought project of deciding where your values are. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's one of the things uh, we talk about oftentimes is, you know, in my firm with uh, the executive coaching we do is it's sometimes it's uh, conversations without consequence, right? Uh, so we can go deep and, uh, and, and, you know, go into detail about things that are very personal. And I can hold you accountable on, on things that nobody else is, you know, that you don't really want to have a conversation with about anybody else. But we'll, we're going to have that conversation. And, and we're going to make sure that we're tracking. And, and so you have to be very detailed and intentional on, on tracking your progress on those goals, on, those, on your pursuit of that vision. Yeah, one thing that I love is uh, 
if you, if you look at the best leaders in the world and you ask them, uh, when was the last time they, they've skipped one of the things that's their proverbial big, big rock, uh, they will talk in terms of decades and not in terms of days. This is, this is where the self-discipline and the focus and the courage comes in. Doesn't mean if it's 10.30, even if it's 10.30 at night and you're tired and you're smoked and you just had a, had a long flight, they're still gonna be able to touch that big rock in some way, shape or form. They're not going to let the day go by without doing it. Yeah, I was, I was listening to um, a, a podcast the other day and it was talking about the Japanese and the Chinese and the way that they work is they don't plan one to three years ahead, even five years ahead. They're like 30 to 50 years ahead. And everything is intentional on building towards that 50-year goal. And I, I started to think about how small that I think on a regular basis. Like I think very like too short-term and not big enough to then reverse engineer the process that I need to take. And it sounds like that's what you're referring to as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this is essentially a, your your biological nature. Uh, as as human beings, we are designed for the short term uh, reward, not for the long term reward. Uh, and our evolutionary biology uh, is what led us down that path. You know, we were looking for the next meal. <laughs> we were trying to survive, right? So so your the way your brain developed was not to think strategically and long term. It was to think on the instant gratification and not the delayed gratification piece, which is why so many people, here we are in the beginning of January, and, and uh, this is big time in, in, uh, and for the fitness centers and the gyms out there because they're, they're overloaded right now with all the people who have come up with new resolutions about everything that they're going to do differently in this coming year. And then usually by around February, they've come to their senses, right? Uh, and the reason is uh, their inability to think long-term, to see that 20 minutes every single day or even longer uh, is going to get you down the path of where you want to be. Yeah, it's it's the short-term goals that eliminates it. And so you to go back and I'll share a little bit about me is that I've always been active, but I, I've taken a different approach. I turned 50 in February. So when this comes out, I will already be 50. And I ended up um, in another mastermind with a gentleman who's a personal trainer. So he's like, what are your fitness goals? And I said, very quickly, which I was proud of myself, is I want to be functionally fit. He's like, well, what does that mean? And the first thing that, and I didn't even plan it, but the first thing I said is I want to be able to protect my family. And what that meant to me is, is I need to be in good shape. So if there's a fire, if there's, um, you know, a burglary, if, if there's, a, you know, an accident, if there's something, if I'm 50 and I can't bend over and I can't run, and I can't do the things that I need to protect my family, then to me, that's a failure. So I want to be fit enough that in 20 years, I'm in good shape to still be able to protect my family. Yeah, and I would expound upon it, uh, to be honest with you, Jeff. Functional fitness for me is that you are are fit to do all the things that you want to do right? in life, that, that you can perform those functions. If you decide at 50 years old, you want to learn how to jump out of airplanes, I have a little bit of background in that kind of that world right there. You know, there shouldn't be anything holding you back, right? Because you develop the fitness, the hip mobility, 
the, the strength and the flexibility to, to do those kind of things. You decide you want to go become an alpinist and, and climb the seven summits or, or uh, free solo LCAP or whatever it is, you maintain the functional fitness to do those kind of things. And so uh, kind of like success and greatness, you define this a little bit for yourself, right? Uh, but I think like so many other things, we're talking about relentless self-improvement there too. Right. Right. There's never an end when you have that, that programming of relentless self-improvement, it's never over. And I learned that from my mom because even she's 75 and she still reads self-help books, self-development books, listens to podcasts, um, you know, just goes through the process of just wanting to be better. And here she is and, and so many people at 75, like, okay, I don't have anything else to improve upon. I'm in coast mode. And she's like, nope, I'm still trying to figure out how to be better, how to work on myself and communicate better. And it's such a wonderful example to see her at that age to continue to, to progress. There's a great quote uh, from Winston Churchill. And uh, I'll paraphrase here. And he says, you know, there comes a time in every person's life when they're figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered a unique opportunity, something that's uh, specifically designed for them and them alone. And what a shame it would be for that moment to find them unprepared or unqualified for what should have been their finest hour. So in my mind, my finest hour is still to come. And I will be ready when that moment comes. Yeah, because we don't know when that's going to be there. I, I am still in pursuit of that finest hour. Even as a retired colonel uh, and all the experiences I had and everything around the world, that was just me getting warmed up. That was just the start. Uh, the greatest hour is still to come. Well, and that's, I want everybody to hear what you just said as well, is all of those past experiences put you in a position to be able to help people in a unique way that they may not have thought about before. So everybody's story is different. Everybody pathways different. And all the things that you have gone through has prepared you to be who you are today and how you can help people of who you used to be. And I heard that and it just, it resonated so much with me is that you help the people that who you weren't once were. And that really brought a lot of awareness to me of who I could help. It's, you know, everybody's at different stages and there's some people that I might not be able to help because they're further along and they've, they've got different, different needs and requirements that I'm not capable because I haven't experienced it, but there's a lot of people that I can help just like you can. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty astute as well, Jeff, that, you know, look, everybody's got a different path and we're, we're intersecting with everybody's story at a different part of their story. And, and sometimes we're not somebody's cup of tea at that moment in time. Right. Uh, and so uh, I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Uh, we're not going to uh, be able to please everybody uh, and not everybody's going to agree. And that's all right as well. Right. It's the, the quote of when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And because I went through in 2019, I was just in a weird spot and I heard David Goggins. And it just resonated with me at that time, and which is no, not me. If you know me, that's I don't respond well to that type of direction and challenge. But at that point in my life, that was exactly what I needed to get on course. And I still like him and I appreciate his message, but it doesn't really get me rah-rah to go run out the front door like it used to. 
Um, because you have, like you said, you have moments where different things are going to resonate and different connections and conversations and things will make more impact than others. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing that's, that is so important to consider when you're, when you're mentoring and developing other people and coaching and that kind of thing is that, um, you know, it's a two-way street. Um, you know, you, you can't relentlessly pour yourself into another person if they're, they're not willing to receive at that point in time. So, uh, you know, it has to be, the timing has to be right. Exactly. You have to have the right answers too, but, but the timing has to be right. Right. For sure. So you hold people accountable. What would be, is there another step that you typically do in helping people on their pathway to greatness? You know, I like to, I like to come up with specific challenges that uh, are things that they can commit to. And, and sometimes, oftentimes that takes a very physical, uh, you know, it takes a very physical form, but it doesn't have to, right? Uh, you know, if it's, you talked about, uh, uh, you're a great example right here, Jeff, a podcast. You know, if, if somebody said, hey, I need to do this, I really need to do this. All right, we're going to set a date. And by this date, and we're going to backwards plan from that date, by that date, you're going to have launched the podcast. And, and I'm going to hold you accountable to that. I want to run a marathon. By this date, guess what? Let's put the money down. We're buying, we're buying our, our spot in the marathon right now, right? We're paying, we're putting our money down, and we're going to be ready on that date. And so those are our, our, our goals, right? Like I said, which are, which are dead objectives. But I think those are important to condition people towards this behavioral approach. Was teaching them the skill to stick to something that absolutely. Yeah. I heard Ed Milet and it was, it wasn't even his saying it was another guest who had gotten it from someone else. So I don't know who to credit this, but they talked about people just need to get better at keeping promises they make to themselves. Well, the other thing is the most important step is the first one, right? Yes. If I get you to take the first step, uh, guess what? You're probably not going to do just one podcast, right? You know, you're probably not just going to stop with me or your other guest, right? <laughs> so there's, so I have to get you to the, to this, to through this process of the first step, and then it'll, it'll build upon itself. And, and then we can talk about the things that are kind of, James Clear talks about some of these in, in Atomic Habits, so you know, about habit stacking and habit tracking and those, those kind of things, right? But I have to get you to take the first step. If I, if I get you to, to, to commit to a long distance, an Ironman triathlon or something like that, that's probably not going to be your last one. There's probably going to be other things now that we've kindled that flame a little bit that we can build upon that, that success and, and, and keep that success alive by more successes on top of it. Unfortunately, that's very similar to tattoos. You get one and then they just continue <laughs> on and on and on. <laughs> I am, to be honest, I'm an anomaly. I'm like one of the, I was always the only guy in all of my units that didn't have a tattoo and, and everybody else, you know, the whole sleeve and everything like that. And, and I, I guess I never saw something that, and you could probably educate me on this. I never saw something that spoke to me and I said, yep, I need to have that on me forever. You know, yeah. um, there were probably, uh, there are certain things that I saw that I was like, oh, that's really interesting and unique. Uh, for example, one guy, he had a, his family symbol was a fleur de lis, which is kind of like the New Orleans Saints. And he had one done in the, uh, uh, with the names of his, of his wife and children. And he had it done in his armpit. And I said, why, why in the world would you do that? And he said, well, you know, if I, if I ever got captured or was a prisoner, I, I, I wouldn't be able to have a, 
a picture of my family, but I could have this as something to remember them by and to think about them. I was like, oh, that's it. So, so that is one that resonated with me. Something like that resonated with me, um, as opposed to things that were much more artistic or expressive in that sense. You know, it's all different. It it, it just it starts like my first one was my son's name, and he we call him Deuce because he's the second. So it's a two, like the Harley Davidson one. So it's yeah. the two that says deuce across it. And then it's just been a landslide of, of ink from there, but, but it's fun. And so to your point is you never know what's going to create that, that consistency of just wanting to have another and wanting to have another and wanting to have another. And that to me, that's that relentless pursuit of greatness is that it's not over is it's, it's a carrot so far out that you just continue to try to find another angle, another angle, another tactic, another strategy to just to keep moving forward. And that's what I want people to hear. Yeah. Nobody wants to succeed just one time. Right. And, and, uh, and you see some of these guys uh, that, that really rest their laurels on past successes. Right. And I jokingly used to say there, it's like somebody, who's wearing their high school letterman jacket 25 years after they graduated high school and talking about how great they were, you know? And, um, so, and we, you've probably seen that guy. You're probably visualizing the person I'm talking about when I say that. So everybody wants to continue to succeed. Uh, and so uh, you can't just, you can't just be a one trick pony. You got to be able to continue to refine and recreate yourself and develop yourself over time. And I think that's essential here too. Yeah, it's much better to be considered a rock legend than a one-hit wonder. It, that's what's a, that's when you know you've made it, right? Uh, some people get lucky, right? Uh, and uh, one of the things we would say on the teams is when we would do our after actions, uh, we were serious about not wanting to misdiagnose the absence of an abject failure as the presence of success because uh, maybe we just got lucky. You know, maybe we weren't good. Maybe we just got lucky. And so we want to make sure that we're good, right? So, so we're going to make sure we we get it right, and we're going to be able to repeat that mistake. And uh, one of the one of the people we we spoken to recently, uh, he shared some wisdom from uh, early in his career, uh, and he had he had been successful in in a certain measure, and his boss said, "Good, show me three times." Mm. Show me that it wasn't just a, a one-off that you that you got lucky, but that you actually can can hit this target three times. Yeah, that's when it becomes fact when it's repeatable, yeah. and it's not just a science experiment. That's when you get to the point when you're U two that you can give away an album for free on iTunes, with you know because you know you're going to generate more. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Well, Eric, what it, it you know I don't I know that you're a busy man, so. What are some of the parting words that you'd love to leave the listeners about um, how to navigate their pathways to success or to greatness? Well, I think we've talked about, uh, you know, some great ways ahead for people to, some considerations for people to take into account. I would just uh, add upon that, that uh, everything you want, everything you desire is on the other end of fear. And for me, I like to use the acronym uh, that fear is false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. Mark Twain uh, had this great quote, and I'm, I'll paraphrase again, that uh, worry is uh, paying interest on a debt you may not owe. 
And if we look at all the things we worried about in the past, the overwhelming majority, 90-something percent, never even had a prayer of, of coming real. Everything you want is on the other end of that, of that fear, of that false evidence appearing real. And then you got to do another acronym. You got to face everything and rise. I love it. I love it. Eric, thank you. Where can people find you on social? Are you on the, the social wagon? I am. I'm on LinkedIn and all the other um, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those kind of things. And, um, and obviously, yeah, under uh, CRAinc.com, you'll be able to find our amazing firm or admiredleadership.com as well. Okay. Awesome. What are you just Eric Springer on Instagram and Facebook? Uh, yep. Eric Springer. Okay. And you'll be able to see me if you're, if you're looking at admired CRA admired leadership and obviously the members there, uh, that's where I'm at. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the, the ways to connect with you in the, the show notes so people can find you. And I greatly appreciate it. I took tons of notes. I'm going to go back and listen to it again. Cause I didn't want to just sit here and constantly write, um, extremely valuable. Thank you. It benefited me. And I know it's going to benefit other people. Really happy to help and really happy to spend some time with you today, Jeff. Awesome. awesome. Look forward to the next time already. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pathways to Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with all your friends. Also, rate and review the show to help more people find these valuable conversations. You guys have a great day.